The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at the Zen Center of New York City. Hojin Sensei is the abbot of the Zen Center and head priest at Zen Mountain Monastery. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org slash zcnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Um, nice to have you here. And yesterday was um, a nice day with uh, my teacher came down and the teacher of many here, Shugen Roshi, uh, did a retreat on self-doubt and profound trust, profound faith. Um, something we know in different ways. Um, in our culture in particular, he was speaking about the kind of self-doubt that's um, self-criticism, self-hatred. Um, yeah, just like really mistrusting our own being. And, and he compared it to another culture, such as where the Dalai Lama is, where it's kind of you're born into like there, there isn't one. So what, what are we hating actually? There, there, there is no self. And so it's really like um, examining the Buddhist path as examining our beliefs, our views that are harmful, that uh, create suffering in ourself. And um, these kind of bad habits we take on. Um, and then to um, have practice that we come into a practice where we can work with what we call the kleshas, the attachments, the grasping at our false notions. But first we have to settle down so we can see what's arising in our mind and how we, how we believe things. And then the power to doubt, that good doubt, the, the power, the, the freedom and the necessity of doubting our beliefs and examining so we can find out what's real and true and to see that we all have this miraculous Buddha nature, this nature that is unbound, ineffable, can't grasp it. Um, It's not something you get from someone. Uh, We're all born with it, whether you believe it or not. Um, this vast, boundless body moving and changing that where this, he called it, miraculous awareness. And that in a human life, awareness can actually be aware of itself. And awareness can love. So, at a very kind of practical level, we begin to see the dualities that we create and how we compartmentalize, a big word, so much, divide so much, and make contact with an undivided life. Um, Because separation and division like that is a trick of the mind. It's delusion. And so we want to see the tricks. And that's why we turn to practice, we'll never exhaust 
this miracle of our awareness, just seeing. And then the week before, we did a um, temple service to the temple day, a.k.a. cleaning up, (laughs) spring cleaning, (laughs) buffing and polishing things. And um, somebody was making um, a board in my room to put, it used to be there, have hooks to just hang something on. And I went to the tool room to see if I could find a hook. And I, I started looking, and I was just like, oh, my God, we have so many nails. If anybody buys another nail, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> or a washer or a hinge. It's like like jars and screws. And I'm like, oh, my God, we can open up a store down there. So, um, yeah, so these... Um, these nails were on my mind, how many nails we had and variations. And um, two people went down. I just said, two people go down to the tool room because there's a pegboard and it has the you know outline of scissors. So scissors should hang there. None of that was happening. <laughs> so I picked the right, I nailed it, right? I picked the right two people and they did all this organization. And uh, they said, yeah, you you know, they said to me, like, you really hit the nail on the head picking us. And I was like, oh, my God, this nail thing is just going crazy. And so it reminded me, I used to read um, Tilopa. And Tilopa was an Indian um, Tibetan teacher um, who had this teaching called the Six Nails. And then I learned there's 20 nails, and there's a lot of nail teachings, but... I went back to these six nails, and um, I also looked up the idiom. Do you know this hitting the nail on the head that we say? And um, it dates back to the early 16th century. Um, no one is certain what, when it was first used, but they believe it was used by carpenters. Um, because if you miss the nail, hitting the nail on the head, obviously you might damage something on the surface, right? It goes off. Um, But if you hit the nail on the head, you get kind of a desired result. So in a sense, it it came to mean to, using the idiom, it came to mean to do or say something that is exactly right, to understand or express something perfectly. And then Henry David Thoreau actually used it in his poem on uh, Merrimack River, um, A Week on Concord and Merrimack Rivers. And he said this was, um, it became a cliche by that point. This is in the late 1800s, I suppose. And he wrote, they will hit the nail on the head and we shall not know the shape of the hammer. So... Tilopa's Six Nails, I thought I would share with you today, which is also known as Tilopa's Advice for uh, for Meditation Instructions. And although I, uh, of course, we're in the Zen tradition here, um, any instruction I could find from a wise person to dismantle the mind's major patterns of restlessness I'm game for. Um, So what has become clouded over um, somewhere along the way, this is what Tilopa is pointing out. 
these things that come up in our practice that clouds over this Buddha nature, this original natural settlement restfulness that um, we're, we are when we're not stirred up. So um, this, they're very pithy, just a few words, and then this translator added a longer sentence, and then I changed it again. <laughs> so they go like this. This is from Ken McLeod. This is how it was translated from Talopa. Don't recall, don't imagine, don't think, don't examine, don't control, rest. Those are the six nails. So McLeod translated as don't recall, let go of what has passed. Don't imagine, let go of what may come. Don't think, let go of what is happening now. Don't examine, don't try to keep figuring anything out. Don't control, try to make, don't try to make anything happen. And rest, relax right now and rest. So I looked at that and what worked better for me was working with in a present continuous verse, more like letting go of what has passed, letting go of what is to come, letting go of what is happening now, not trying to figure anything out, not trying to make anything happen, relaxing right now and resting. It's like when the monitor says what used to do a lot is be still. We already are, so being still is what we're returning to, being still. Be, not be still, but being still, which we already are, just being it. And words matter. And these are some teachings that seem deceptively simple. Yeah, I know how to do that on the surface. But we need to sometimes stay with those ones that are deceptively simple and feel them resonate through us because we want to come out of the intellect of I know, I know, I know into the body into the embodiment, into really, that's where it gets more thorough and understanding. So, um, Tilopa was born in 988 and lived to 1069, just to give you a reference of the time period. And um, in these instructions, uh, something that struck me, what Roshi said was, they're so relevant now. Um, so like what we're hearing from the Buddhist teachings or <clears throat> these teachers that live long ago, obviously we're not the first people that need to hear about our patterns of restlessness, that these teachings go way back and we still need them. Tilopa likely lived in the region what is known as present-day West Bengal, India, and Bangladesh. Uh, Little is known of his life other than um, we're told he was a cowherd, and he wasn't a monastic, 
and uh, showed a natural inclination to meditation and mystical experiences. And over the course of his life, he became a very experienced meditator uh, with a profound understanding of the mind, and he was the beginning of what we call the Kagyu lineage of Tibetan Buddhism. His best-known student was Naropa, which you may know the school, Naropa, who was the the best-known student of Naropa was Marpa. This is the lineage. And... um, who was the translator who brought the Vajrayana Buddhist teachings um, from India to Tibet. And Marpa's best-known student is Milarepa, who we know was in the cave, right, doing time in in the cave. So uh, many of us, and even if we're more mature in practice, we're sort of, these things are always something to keep in mind. But many of us are developing right now a meditation practice. Maybe just start it up again. Um, And that could seem kind of daunting. (laughs) At the same time, we know it's what we want to do. And it's hard sometimes. It took me a while to find confidence in sharing with anyone about what I was doing because it was such a tender vulnerable place to even start it. I was, I was like, I was afraid sometimes when I would share it, someone would say, what are you doing that for? And I didn't want to be challenged because I didn't know. It was so like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I have to do it. I have to see what this is. And I remember my mom, I bring her in a lot because she's my best person for challenge of what I'm doing, um, asked me one of her Um, questions, partially avoidance and partial inquiry. What are you doing in that place? Because I went to the monastery. What are you doing in that place? And I remember I was stammering, kind of like, I don't know what to say. Where do I start this? What am I doing there? And I felt a little like Alice in Wonderland, like um, being questioned by that pesky little Zen master caterpillar. Um, who are you? Uh, well, well, well. This morning, I, you know, so I, was, I remember kind of stammering to her. I said, I said, I don't know, Mom. I want to know the nature of my mind. I want to know what all this is. Why we suffer? I said, I'm suffering. And she said, Why would you want to do that? <laughs> I was like, Okay. Some of you may have had that with people close to you. So starting a practice and turning around to face ourself is no small thing. And we could be very unsure with demanding questions about the whys. And um, we chant a line from the Karinita Metta Sutta that says, um, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart. And I feel like practice has that sense. We have to protect it like our only child, (laughs) like a mother would. And um, I was talking to uh, Lama Justin Bujos, who's doing a retreat here, who comes from this tradition, and I asked him about this um, 
six nails from Tilopa. He actually wrote about it, but he was saying he, um, he uh, spoke of this teaching from his first teacher, who was um, a Sikhamese Buddhist nun. And in her teaching, he said she likened the development of meditation practice to an expectant mother in how now that we have taken the time to begin the process of turning to practice, receiving Dharma teachings, we need to maintain the necessary conditions for its growth. She told him, we all can think of ourselves as pregnant and take care of and protect our practice so that it grows. This becomes a life's work. So I thought it was interesting that, you know, I had the same feeling about practice, and he had said that about his teacher. So these six nails, again, are to help us dismantle, one by one, the mind's major patterns of restlessness and meditation. It's almost like Tilopa is pointing a finger at the experience of zazen, meditation, how to settle the mind, how to place our mind in zazen, also highlighting what we need to be careful of in practicing the Buddha's dharma and cultivating our practice. So he's showing us how we can be nurturing, like this mother, protecting her child of our practice and simultaneously deepening its meaning and that they're not exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. And that when we find ourselves getting too complex, sometimes we're served best by simplicity, simplifying our practice, just getting very simple again, very basic. And as we begin to sit, and this is, you had beginning instruction with Yunin, those of you who are new, when we begin to settle down, we're, we're asked to see what arises, see the thought, and make an acknowledgement of it. Oh, that's that. I see it. And then, then let it go. And we get to see the patterns over time. If you keep sitting, you get, we get to see how we often live in the past. It's over, the future. Or we're controlling now, what he says don't, don't think, don't let go of what is happening now, examine, don't control, rest. So I wanted to uh, go through these nails. The first is the one that addresses the past. Don't recall, let go what is, of what is past. And I think we all remember um, Pigpen, from Charlie Brown. Everywhere Pigpen went, there was dust. <laughs> it was like a little ball of dust, debris following Pigpen. And that's kind of like our past. We're like little Pigpens. <laughs> um, it hovers, right? It hovers. Always dragging in all sorts of stuff from the past. You know, Daido Roshi, some of you who knew him, my teacher used to say, put down the backpack, take off the blinders, the backpack, the things we carry around. 
It's easy, right? So we stay with the practice of the breath and observe in real time how this stuff of the past, this cloud, kicks up. And we sit down and we um, observe our view right now. And then what happens, right? So we f- what pops up was, okay, an ex-lover, the past, pops up. What a jerk. What an angel. What we should have said, what we could have said, running this over, what we actually said. It could be from earlier today. Then it's from yesterday. Then it's from earlier in the week. Then it's from work. And then we're remembering the color of our rug in our bedroom when we grew up, in our childhood home. So this past haunts in our mind in a million different ways. It haunts in our body, too, in the form of restlessness, fidgeting, all the various kinds of tensions, right? I think I've told you, some of you heard, so I'm sorry if you're hearing this again for the umpteenth time, but I always sat with my head to the side. For a long, when I started off, I was a little like this. And the person was walking the zendo would go like this. And I'd be like, really? It felt like exorcist. Like I was, and I was just, and like this. And I realized I was, after time, a while, years, <laughs> I was trying to straighten out and see what was happening. I was, it was something from the past that I was turning from, avoiding. It was a reoccurring thing. And finally, it dropped. And I could straighten out. But it was so interesting to have that physical experience. And then I noticed sometimes I'm bored. You might notice this too. Tired maybe a bit rebellious, and I start replaying experiences from the past that I feel are significant often to bolster a sense of how I was important. (laughs) There's that one. Or we can go the other direction, right? So we start thinking about something we did, and we were really good at it, or did something, and that occupies us for a while. And we get fidgety. And what is key to this instruction is that we're gaining a better understanding of how our relationship to the past affects right now. And we bring up, and how we bring up the past habit. We can learn about that. The next nail, don't imagine. So what do you think that's speaking of? Let go of what may come. So some of us spend a lot of time in the future, You may notice that. Sometimes we cook up fearful scenarios. What's going to happen? Sometimes hopeful scenarios. What's going to happen? What may or may not come to pass? Worrying, daydreaming, planning, scheming about what we could get, what we could say. Did you ever do that one? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say when I go in there? 
I used to like half a period or the whole one. What am I going to say to my teacher? What am I going to say to my teacher? What am I going to say to my teacher? And I'm like, I didn't sit a wink. I was like, who's this for? Who's this for? <laughs> but that was the way it was. I had to see that. And then there's this monotonous wandering, which I'm sure you've encountered. I wonder when this period's going to end. I think the timekeeper's sleeping. Where's this? Where's the bell? Come on, it's got to be the time. <laughs> it's just on and on. What am I going to get for lunch when this is over? What am I going to cook tonight? And on and on. So don't imagine. Let go of what may come. And you may also notice, I do, how tense the body gets thinking about the future. Suddenly I'm like, I'm all tense thinking about these things to come. And when I notice and I see it and I let go, it's like I, you have to do it with the body too because it could still be looking for the future. So we have to send the signals to the body. Tilopa is encouraging us to gently let go, let the future go. Come back to being present right here. The future hasn't happened yet. And there is also a time where we can think about the future very consciously and deliberately. Right? Just make time and know, I am thinking about the future. I'm going to do this. And we do it. Right? It's like, it's like sometimes we have to, to a certain point, but we can't know for sure because it hasn't happened. We don't even know if we're going to be there. So to get an, it's important to get a small sense in ourself why we're doing this. Why do you want to let go? I think that's important to know. Why do you want to let go of a thought? If we, if we don't know for sure, just a little bit of like understanding that, it's going to help us, really help us. The third nail, don't think. Let go of what is happening now. What could that be about? Don't think. Let go of what is happening now. So if we let go of the past and we let go of the future, we might find we have these moments that we're in the gap, that we're present. We're here. Right? Simply present. And maybe that feeling of the present only lasts just a moment before habits regain control. And we don't have to get mad at the habits. This is like, this is what we're signing up for. (laughs) So we can undo what binds us. There is someone binding us. And that, that we've made that someone solid, real. So we need to see how we're getting bound. So we habits gain control, we drift away. And we might notice we're beginning to drift into some kind of mental commentary on the present moment, talking to ourselves. Wait, my arm itches. Okay, okay, that's better. Now I've got it. Now I'm really present. I'm calm. I'm relaxed. It's happening. My mind is quiet. No, it's not. (laughs) 
I'm just going through what, what I've been through. <laughs> We're sitting here, and we could be lost in judgments, talking to ourselves about the present moment instead of just experiencing it. The short translation of the line is, don't think. But telling ourselves or someone, don't think, isn't going to work. That we could ever end thinking. Mm -mm. What we can stop is our grasping. Thoughts will keep coming. That's, That's what mind, the brain does. Its job is thinking. Um, Uchiyama calls it secretions of the brain. We constantly have secretions of the brain. So we really um, can't will the mind to stop thinking. So you can get that one out of your your thinking. Um, Or silence it by force. You can try, but it won't last very long. So Milarapa wrote, said, The mind's impulse to sudden thought cannot be stopped by hundreds of spears. Even if we were menaced by hundreds of warriors standing around threatening to jab us with their spears, if we allowed our mind to think, we still couldn't stop it. Thinking happens. And with his longer translation, let go of what is happening now, including thoughts. Release our grasp. Sometimes our own brilliant mind can be an impediment. And the the tendency of the mind to hold on to what is happening now and grasp it tightly and own it and codify our experience. Now I'm doing this. Now I'm doing that. Is this okay? This is what I'm experiencing. And we make, make it something as we're sitting there. So he's saying, see how the present is unfolding and flowing and always changing and can't be pinned down because it's not an object, an infinitely unfolding process. From our tradition, we might hear Dogen say, think non-thinking, where the thinker is empty of any cognizance, that there's no one thinking, but there's thinking, non-thinking, that may take a while. Think, non-thinking. And then there's an expression, when you meet the Buddha, kill the Buddha. means don't put a head on top of the one you have. Don't add more. Don't put it, you're a Buddha. When you meet the Buddha, kill the Buddha. Don't put things in, fill things in. So what Talopa may have been suggesting is cut off labeling and reactivity in relationship to whatever is arising. Thoughts, emotions, physical sensations. Try not to worry about what's happening right now. Instead, let it arise naturally, without judgment, just release. Let your grip go. Let go of the grip. Let things flow on. Right? And then he follows it with don't examine, and the longer version, don't try to figure anything out. This is the fourth nail. Don't examine. Don't examine. Aren't we told all the time, examine, examine, examine? (laughs) 
But there's a point where we do examine, and then there's a point where we stop the analysis. Stop examining. Don't try to figure things out. We may notice a little or big voice in the back of our mind murmuring about our experience. Am I doing this right? What is my breath supposed to feel like? Is my posture okay? When I'm in the present moment, how is that supposed to feel? Is this it? Aha, this is it. This is it. I got it. I think I had it for a moment. I think I'm in the hara. But you see, that can take up our zazen, this kind of examination. So to look at the mind's tendency to always be examining, analyzing, questioning, doubting, drop that and see what experience feels like without the addition of trying to figure anything out. For some of us, this is super hard, especially if that's our work, like we're an an analyzer, (laughs) a figure-outer, and that's our that's how like we've been practicing for so long in our work. It's hard to shift that. Lee, can we at the same time that we're doing something just leave everything alone? Tilopa's highlighting, making sure how important it is that our experience remains that which is experienced, not something we study. He isn't worried about how much you have read or whether you are literate, letting analysis evaporate. Give space for direct experience to occur. And there are times where we use our intellect, where we we go back to something we read to help us. You see? So it's not, don't make it absolutes. Okay? It's just what can cause us to block the flow in our zazen that repeatedly becomes a habit, and we sometimes go to it because we can't bear the bare attention to our breath or to being present. I love this one. Don't control. Aren't we all project managers? Big time. Don't try to make anything happen. Oh, boy. We sit down to meditate. Big ideas, right, and plans with what this means. That we're going to be sitting in an ocean of bliss, and then we're not. (laughs) It's like, isn't this what meditation is? And we have that idea that that's what we're supposed to be there for. All of our beautiful plans always seem to be falling apart. And we're re-scrambling to pick up the pieces, put it back together, recreate the idea we had in our mind. That's the control part, right? You get it. What's supposed to be happening? The project manager mentality. We can't project manage our way through zazen. (laughs) We can't. We can't force the mind into stillness or into silence, into presence, because those aren't states that are created with any effort. It's really in that last part, 
right? So the effort, and this is something we learn about in practice, is what is right effort? Because we have to make an effort. It's not just, you know, as my teacher said, okay, do me. You know, we sit down. Taito Roshi always used to use that. I used to get mad whenever he'd say that, because I was like, no, I want, do me. <laughs> I just want to sit down. But it's not like that. All the So we have to go through these ideas about what will happen and what stillness and silence and presence are. And they are the natural qualities of awareness. When we're just aware of what's happening, we, we're in it. We're, we're experiencing directly, not con- grasping it, but just seeing it. No it, really. So, in short, stop being a control freak. <laughs> it's like a good analogy is like a glass of water, so with dirt in it. And usually we're constantly stirring. And the water's clear, always has been. But for a moment, it's stirred up. We keep stirring it up, so we have to let that settle, right? Don't try to make anything happen. Let the the mind's natural clarity settle and appear to you to us, right? So the more we try to make the water clear, the muddier it becomes. And there's a line from the Faith Mind poem some of us may have worked with. The more you talk and think about it, the further you wander from the truth. Stop talking and thinking, and there's nothing you'll not be able to know. It gets clearer. It just settles down and gets clearer. Talopa's telling us, let everything be. Stop trying to make something happen. And the fifth nail, rest. 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 Just rest. Rest it all. Relax now and rest. What is rest? It's really very simple. I mean, if you have a cat or a dog, they know it really good. Just watch them. They know how to rest. Dido used to say even a hummingbird rests. You know, do you ever see hummingbirds? They're like, tss, tss. but they do rest, actually. I had to babysit hummingbirds once. One of my teachers had hummingbirds. I couldn't believe it. A crow and hummingbirds. And the hummingbirds need nectar all the time, so that's why somebody has to stay with them because you got to keep the nectar going until they rest. And at night you cover their cage so they can do that. I don't know what they're doing under there. So, Are they really resting? I don't know. But they do come to rest. I looked it up. But we can be so absurdly complicated. And we have to relearn how to find our natural state. We've come, become more unnatural, and things keep us moving in such a way that it's hard to rest and settle because of these strong habitual patterns of restlessness. And now we have all the things to fill that in, to distract us. You know, we don't go out and sit on a rock or... I hope we do. 
watch the water flow, touch the earth. These are simple ways to settle down. But there's a lot that's made that cloudiness. It's come a long way. And this is what we can give to ourselves and the world, is this ability to rest. To just come into a state of rest with someone in an argument, in a difficulty. Not give fear. I had a cat that was so deeply in rest that you could like push it to wake it up and it was just like, he was a goner. I've never seen such deep rest. The ones here are a little more restless, I would say. You touch them and they're kind of up. But I had one that was like out like a light. And, and then you'd, like, you'd finally you'd get him out of this deep. And you could see there was dreams going on. You know, there was a lot of, it was very deep, always. I was like so relaxed. I could lift the leg and drop it. <laughs> lift the leg and drop it. Some some cats don't, they're they're up right away, restless. So it's very challenging to come to a state of rest and stay. And this is what our practice can give to us. This is how we can stop the stirring. Six words of advice from Talopa to dismantle one by one the mind's major patterns of restlessness and arrive back at the original state of simple, clear awareness that became clouded over somewhere along the way. So to enjoy our practice, to enjoy this possibility, be patient, be loving, be kind, be wise, compassionate, Let it unfold. Pay attention. Don't recall. Don't imagine. Don't think. Don't examine. Don't control. Rest. So I'll just end with um, the winning haiku from this month in Tricycle. I loved it. It's by Nancy Winkler. It's 575. With its deep tape root, the dandelion stays calm as its head explodes. With its deep tape root, the dandelion stays calm as its head explodes. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats, and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.